You are listening to a Live City Church podcast, and we hope you'll experience Jesus today. We are excited to have you join our extended online church family. If you would like further information or wish to access more content, please connect with us on our Live City Church Facebook page or visit us at livecitychurch.com. Praise the Lord. I want you to open your Bibles to, we're going to move around the Bible a little bit. And uh, we don't apologize for that. We're a church that uh, follows the word. That's that's what we do. We'll preach the word. We'll unpack it for you in a way that you will understand. We'll tell you stories so that emotionally you can connect with the word. Matthew chapter 6, we're going to read to start with. Matthew chapter 6 is 14 to 15. And... Um, if you're wondering about the context while you're turning there, I'm going to finish off, uh, I'm hoping this morning to finish off uh, this, uh, what's become a series in and of itself. So we're part of a big series. If you're dialing in late, you're coming early to the church, or you've been missing a few weeks, uh, if, you're, if you're listening to the podcast, uh, we've started a series this year called Freedom. Uh, the Bible says that Jesus said, whom the Son sets free will be free indeed, truly, truly free. And we're brought out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. But what happens is we drag all these bad habits with us into the kingdom of light. And God wants to bless us, but sometimes his hands are tied and we undo ourselves. And we can blame the devil for stuff, but sometimes he ain't to blame. Don't give him credit for it. But we brought this with us. And what I'm hoping, I really believe the Holy Spirit wants me to do this, is that we together are going to break these things off ourselves, off a generation now, I'm speaking to parents and grandparents in particular. You'll be breaking off curses and stopping it from being passed down the generations across the series this year. So don't miss out, okay? I want you to lean in today. I want you to interact with the Word. Help me to preach the Word. This is not the kind of church where you just sit back and listen and I'll try and entertain you. That's not, that's not the way, okay? You're going to draw on the anointing and I'll preach better, okay? So help me. Amen. Okay, Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 to 15. Jesus says, for if you forgive men, if you forgive men when they sin against you. So it's not if they sin against you, it's when. It's going to happen. Turn to the person next to you and say, I know you're going to sin against me sometime. And you tell them, but I forgive you. I forgive you in advance. You might be sitting next to someone, you're still holding an offense, you're like, I don't actually feel, I don't want to say that. <laughs> this is like we're going to real church, okay? We're not a real church. You say, you know, sometimes it's got to be like this. I love you with the love, uh, actually, this is what it used to be, uh, I don't know if you're like this. I went to a Christian boarding school, and if you liked a girl, you know, you sort of saddle up alongside her, you know, and you, you just want to hang out with her, and then eventually she'll say to you, I love you with the love of the Lord. And that's all. <laughs> I was like, you know, I sort of softened the ball a little bit, but I felt it. Honey, I felt it. <laughs> so, you know, okay, forgive them in advance in Jesus' name. For if you forgive men, when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Here's the proviso. Look at this, verse 15. But if you do not forgive men their sins... Your Father in heaven that you love and pray to, oh, Daddy, God, Father in heaven, will not forgive your sins. 
I just want you to think about that for a moment. Let it settle in your spirit. If you forgive men their sins, God will forgive you your sins. If you refuse to forgive men their sins, God will refuse to forgive you your sins. He can't do it. See, you can understand the concept when Jesus taught us how to pray on earth as in heaven. Everything reflects heaven on earth. And if you are dictating heaven, I will not forgive. Then heaven says, remember, Jesus said, if you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. It's already down there before you even said it. Whatever you loose on earth is already loosed in heaven. We have authority over demons, over giants, over everything on this planet. God's given us, not over people, not over people, over situations and circumstances, over the enemy. Okay? You have authority over these things. To bind and to loose. The moment you bind, bind it in the name of Jesus. Heaven binds it before we spoke it. Before we finished speaking it, it was bound. Now we have authority. But if you refuse to forgive on earth, heaven refuses to forgive because heaven has to come in conjunction with what's happening on earth because you are the authority on earth. Some of you looking at me like I'm speaking heresy. Can I establish this one for a moment? Genesis 1, 26 to 28. The Bible says, let us make man in our likeness and our image. Let us give them authority over everything in the sky, everything in the sea, everything on the land. That pretty much covers everything on this planet. It doesn't cover the inside of the planet because the Bible, if you look at Scripture, will tell you that's where hell is. Okay? And it doesn't give us authority over the heavens, over the moon, or anything around us. Only on earth we have authority. We can bring things in. We can stop it from coming in. That's authority to bind and to loose. Thank you for those that are starting to get this. All right. All right. So if you, allow, if you forgive someone, heaven has to forgive them. If you refuse to forgive them, heaven won't forgive you. See, we're releasing. We're just conduits of heaven. So here's the thing. I was talking to my kids this week, and I said, in the midst of this series of freedom, I'm reminded that when we were born, we were born innocent. And the Bible says the iniquity was in us all. The DNA is there because of Adam and Eve. Eventually, we're going to sin. It's really hard for a little baby to sin. Okay, They can't quite do it. But pretty soon, they learn to lie. They learn to lie very early in life. They learn to steal, to take something that doesn't belong to them. All right? Then they'll lie to cover it. Did you take that thing? No, Daddy. <laughs> It's in your hand, son. <laughs> Pretty soon they, they they learn to hate. They learn to hate. And they're just reflecting. So what happens is it's amplified multiple times over the older you get. You got a lot of mileage on you. A lot of hurt. People have hurt you. People have upset you. People have abused you or you might have abused them. You, you saw how parenting was modeled, so you, you, you saw what your dad was like, and you tried to mimic him. You saw what your mother was like, and you tried to mimic her, and you saw what your friends you like. You wanted to be like them. Bad company corrupts good character. You wanted to be like them. And before you know it, you in the cycle, this system of the world that takes you down. And Jesus is saying, I want to set you free from that. That's what the series is about. I'm going to take you out of the system, and the only way to do that is to transform you. You cannot claw your way out of the system of this planet. You can't. Okay? It's like gravity. It's a law that if you hold up this, I got my iPad, I'm going to try not to hurt it. it. It's naturally going to fall over. Okay? The only way that I can keep this iPad from falling over is 
if I hold it purposefully, I've got to hold it like this and I apply not undue pressure, but I've got to make sure that I'm constantly doing something about it. Okay? That's, that's what it's like in the Christian walk. If you don't do something about it, you cannot go into cruise control and hope that your life will be transformed and you do everything that Jesus designed you to do. You have to physically do something every day. That's why Jesus says meditate on the word day and night. Day and night. It will keep you holy. It will keep you righteous. It will convict you when you do what's wrong and you begin to pray. How often should you pray? All the time, without ceasing, for this is the will of God. Jesus says, when you pray, you pray like this at the end of the prayer. Father, forgive me my sins as I forgive those who sinned against me. Do you understand the principle? Everything we talk about in this series is going to set you free from one thing to another. And why am I spending three weeks on this particular message? Because you struggle. I struggle with this. We, we struggle to understand the way Jesus is. Like, you think that you would enjoy being with Jesus? I just want you to think about, how many people wish, oh, I just wish Jesus was here and I could, I could just sit with Jesus. I do, I do, I do, I do. But how many people think it's all going to be roses and he's just going to love you, you know, the whole time? Oh, you're so, I'm so proud of you, GT. I made you, you know, in your in your mother's womb. Before you were in your mother's womb, I knew how you're going to be designed. I made you handsome. Okay, that lady you got, I brought her to you because she's fine looking. I made her for you. And I designed everything just for you. And he's going to sing over you, going to dance over you. But he's also going to have the hard words with you. And you can't say, I wasn't thinking that, Lord. <laughs> he already knows your thoughts. I didn't say that. Would you like me to play the recorded heaven message? Let me just press play. Oh, no, 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 no. It's not going to be that easy if, if Jesus is with you. So he says, deal with these things yourself so that he won't have to deal with it. What if we started taking authority over the, our own sin, over our own ha- bad habits, and begin transforming them by the word of God? That's what this is about. So Jesus says, if you forgive, you become the conduit again and heaven forgives you. But if you don't forgive, the flow stops. You are no longer a conduit. You are no longer in the kingdom because you broke the law of God. He said to forgive and you refused. In fact, Jesus says the whole tenet of the law is this, that you love. Love. Once a teacher of the law, in fact, he was the chief teacher of of the law. They were like lawyers of the day. They were experts in the word. They knew and memorized the whole Old Testament. Just think about that for a moment. Memorize it. They were a walking, living, organic computer. And you could come to him saying, can you please interpret this for me, teacher? Uh, how, how do I live my life here? Is, this, is it a sin if I do this? Or what's the right thing to do? And they would interpret the scripture for the people. Such was the weight of the authority that they had. And so one of these teachers, the chief teacher, came to Jesus and said, Rabbi, if you could condense all the law and the prophets, and there's a lot of laws, into one singular thought, what would it be? Jesus says, what's the Shema say? Hear, O Israel, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And the other is like it. Love others as yourself. Jesus began to take it apart, and he says, okay. I want you, it's easy to love people who love you back. Because that's what the world does. And we're, we're so worldly in the church today. Not Life City Church. Everyone else. 
That was a joke. I know you. (laughs) I know me. Jesus says, everyone else in the world does that. They love people who love them. But I'm giving you a commandment. I want you to love your enemies. You picture for a moment what I'm saying to you, what Jesus is saying to you. Love your enemies. That person who cheated you in business, that business partner, stole your clients, stole your money, and took off. That husband or that wife that left you. That best friend who betrayed your trust, stabbed you in the heart. Jesus says, love your enemies. So I'm going to make sure that, I, that you understand what I'm saying. I'm not saying that when you forgive, that you should restore the relationship. See, sometimes, particularly in cases of abuse, it's not a good idea to go back to that. If someone's been stealing from you and stealing from you and stealing from you, I'm not saying go back into business with them. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is forgive them. I want you to turn and be in your Bibles now to 2 Samuel chapter 15. Is everyone okay today? Thanks, all three of you. Is everyone okay today? We're alive. 2 Samuel 15. Turn with me there to to verse 1. I'm going to give you two contrasting men who had enemies come against them. It was cruel, absolutely cruel what happened to these guys. And you're going to see the response of their heart. And I'm going to get you later on today to decide the response of your heart for the things that have been done against you. So 2 Samuel 15, verse 1 to 6. Everyone ready? Let's read together. In the course of time, Absalom provided himself with a chariot and horses and with 50 men to run ahead of him. He would get up early and stand by the side of the road leading to the city gate. I want you to understand the city gate was where they conducted business. That was the law court. That was the business court. That was the family court. All business was done at the gates. But he set up camp by the side road leading to the city gate. So everyone had to go past him. Whenever anyone came with a complaint to be placed before the king for a decision, Absalom would say to him, Look, your claims are valid and proper, but there is no representative of the king to hear you. And Absalom would add, If only I were appointed judge in the land, then everyone who has a complaint or case could come to me and I would see that he gets justice. Absalom, go to verse 6, behaved in this way toward all the Israelites who came to the king asking for justice. And so he stole the hearts of the men of Israel. Now, you read the story out of context, it doesn't make a lot of sense. You see that there is something bad going on, but you don't understand how bad things have actually gotten. This is what we call a root of bitterness. Here's the story. Absalom was one of many sons and daughters of King David. He had many wives and concubines. No, we don't practice that in Christian church today. Okay, We go back to the beginning of time and how the New Testament tells us, husband of one wife. Wives, one husband, okay? But back in the day, he had multiple women that were his wives or concubines, and he had lots and lots of children by them. And what happened was one, Absalom had a sister, and his sister, for the sake of younger people here, was defiled by one of his half-brothers. You know the story? He took advantage of her, set up this moment where he could do that, 
And now Absalom is furious. He's the brother. He and his fellow brother, furious at what was done to their sister. And he began to conspire against his brother. And here's the thing. The reason he began to conspire is that he went to the person of authority, his father. And he told his father, Dad, this grievous thing has happened to my sister. You have got to mete out justice against my half-brother. You need to do something about this. I demand justice. And the father, the king, did nothing about it. I want to tell you that there are times that we leaders will make mistakes. It happens. We're just human beings. Perhaps you're one of those leaders. Perhaps you sat under a leader like that that did nothing in the midst of an injustice. So what happened was Absalom became angry about that. He was angry that his dad did nothing to right the wrong. This is an injustice. This is a travesty against Israel. This man should be put to death for what he did. And so he began planning this elaborate plan where he says, I'm going to put on a party. Dad, I want all my brothers and sisters to come. Why do they all have to come? I just want to have a party for everybody. Come on, let's party. And so unknowingly, this this man who had committed this crime went to the party along with his other brothers and sisters. And there in that party, Absalom kills a man in front of all his brothers and sisters against in front of everybody. They all scattered and ran away. King David was furious at what his son had done. But you see, unfortunately, he had a blind spot, a soft spot for his children, and he was not meeting out justice like he should have. He should have disciplined. We agree. He should have disciplined the son. And now he should have disciplined Absalom, and he did. That was the advice that he had. You've got to do something about Absalom. You've got to control this man. He's out of control, King David. He's out of control. So King David banishes him. And Absalom is fuming, fuming. It's like, now you decide to mete out justice? What about the justice against my sister? What about her? You're not fit to be king. I should be king. Began harboring this bitterness until it took root. See, unforgiveness, if you allow it to linger, offense is is unforgiveness. In case you're wondering about that, you won't let it go. It will eventually take root and it begins to grow. And it becomes this ugly root, this ugly tree that will grow in your life. It becomes poisonous. Hebrews 12.15 says, See to it that no one misses the grace of God. And that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. What I want to tell you, if you don't deal with the offense in your heart, if you don't deal with the unforgiveness in your heart, forget the fact God will forgive you. It's going to come down heavy on you. It will cause you trouble. It will defile you. You will not be in the kingdom anymore. And Don't be mistaken, friends. You'll be disillusioned into thinking you're actually serving the kingdom of light. In church, going to church, doing your stuff, but actually serving the kingdom of darkness. It's a deceit, a deceit that comes upon us. So Absalom is so angry. He decides to do something. So eventually he he sends word out and the word gets back to the king. Come on. Come on, King David. Forgive your son. You already lost one son. Why lose another one? Bring him back. Bring him back. So David says, okay, let's bring Absalom back. So Absalom comes back, but he has a plan. And he begins to dress himself up in his his, uh, princely robes. He hires himself a Maserati or a Mustang, I saw one of those riding around. Con- Mustang convertible, that's the equivalent of a chariot, right? Or Porsche, 
with a you know convertible. I don't know what you like. Just think, just imagine that, right? Maserati. I'm thinking right now. Very expensive car. He's going around there. He's got 50 people running ahead of him, saying, "Here's a prince. Here's a prince. Rightful prince of Israel." They're shouting out and they're lending authority to who he is. He wants to justify himself in front of the people so that they think that he's in the king's good graces. He's still not in the king's good graces. He's got a lot to make up for, but he has no intent to do that. He's got a plan in mind. And so he begins to fool the people with the appearance of kingdom favor. You'll have people like that in church, an appearance of kingdom favor. They pray the loudest. They seem so devout. They will suck you in. And they will, they will mask their hurt so that you don't know, are you okay? They'll come around you. And understand that the resources that he had, those 50 men, that Maserati and all that, that came from his father. He only has what he has because he was in the kingdom and now he's taking advantage of, of his influence and of the blessings of that kingdom to try and build his own kingdom. And now He's on the side of the road, waking up early, seeing and talking to everyone that walks past. He's doing this for a long period of time until he eventually, the Bible says, wins the heart of everyone. So what he does is he goes to the spot just in front of the gate because he knows that the gate is a place of influence. This is an Absalom spirit. So a root of bitterness will eventually evolve and become an Absalom spirit. These are people with gripes and complaints, but they'll mask it with, I'm good. It's all good. It's all good. Oh, no, no, don't worry about me. How are you doing? Are you okay? Can, why, don't we, why don't we have a coffee? Let's have a coffee. Let's, let's talk about it. You're angry with a, pa- with a pastor? Oh, I know. I, it's unfair. Come with me. Let's just have a chat. And perhaps you've been caught with this. Please, I'm not speaking to you. I'm just putting out there because it happens, okay? It happens. You're free, Okay. The Bible says, he says, look, your claims are valid and proper. Is it possible that every gripe and every complaint is founded in truth? That they're, they're all innocent? Do you believe that? All of them are innocent? It's impossible. But he's telling them all, you are all valid. Everything you say, I agree with you. You are correct. It was, you are unjustly treated. So what if you're sleeping around? How dare they kick you out of leadership in the church? You know, that was just so cruel. We live in a new age today. Can you imagine these kinds of things coming out? He justified and agreed with with the gripes. And he ended up sowing the seed of discord to build a faction to support him. Isn't incredible? The Bible tells us in Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit. You all know that, don't you? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I miss those two. Faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But two verses before it, it talks about the acts of the sinful nature, which I could call the fruit of the demonic. And among them, this is what he says, Galatians 5, 19 to 21, hatred. If you hate anybody, be careful. Be very careful because the Bible says we are to love. You can't actually harbor hate, hatred in your heart. You are this precious being. I started telling that story to my girls. And these things will try and discolor you. The light will start to go out from you and you'll start to have darkness in your life. You've got to deal with them immediately as they come up. Hatred. This hatred, it's got to go. Discord. If you're wondering what discord is, some of you might have seen Pirates of the Caribbean. Anyone seen that movie? And this pirate says, are we of one accord? You know, are we in agreement with a plan that we will work together for good? Yes, we'll work together for this thing. Yes, discord is the opposite of that. 
they'll try and come alongside other Christians, other believers, and try and get them upset. You'll see that on Facebook all the time. It'll happen in churches as well. In fact, you'll find it in business and in organizations that come alongside you and say, look, we don't have to agree with this guy. If we just have enough people, you know, I agree with you. That's not right. Why don't we just come together? Discord. Politicians. Jealousy. I know you've seen this in Parliament today. Jealousy. If you ever catch yourself saying, I'm so jealous of that person, be careful. It's an act of the sinful nature. Fits of rage. If you have rage, it's out of control. It just seems that you can't help yourself. You're getting angry almost every day. It's an act of the sinful nature. It's a habit that you brought with you. It's got to be dealt with. Selfish ambition. This is a value in the world. We're telling you, you need to think about number one, numero uno. Advance yourself at all costs. You've got to make something of your life. Don't worry about the other person. You have got to make your life count. But Jesus did not come to be served, but he came to serve and be a ransom for many. It is in, in, in contrast to what we're supposed to be doing as Christians. We live for the person sitting next to us. We live for them. We, we serve them, even when it hurts. Selfish ambition, dissensions. People are going around with this Absalom spirit, causing upset. Yeah, you're right. You are justified with that thing. I agree with you. And eventually they build factions against them so they can take it over. That's what happened in government. The Absalom spirit will set themselves up to be a victim. Someone who needs to be rescued. I was also unjustly hurt. It wasn't fair. It wasn't right what happened to me because of that bad person. I want you to contrast now with Genesis 45. We're going to turn there very quickly. I'll start to close. Genesis 45, verse 7 to 8. Genesis 45, verses 7 to 8. While you're turning there, for some of you who are new to the faith, the Bible tells us about uh, Jacob had sons, 12 sons in total. And Joseph was, one, was like the youngest son at the time before his brother Benjamin was born. And then his, their mother died. Joseph was the favorite of the 12 sons, and Jacob loved him so much. The brothers hated that. They, you know, you sort of wonder if your parent likes one kid over the other. He made it obvious. He gave this guy a coat of many colors. You need to understand that they didn't have colors. Only the wealthy had colors on their jackets and coats. Purple was a color for the king. Well, David, I'm sorry, Joseph had it all, all the colors, just to add insult to injury. In case you weren't sure that this is my favorite son, I'm going to let you all know. And while you're all out looking after the sheep, he's going to stay at home with me and do business. I'm going to teach him to be the manager. Okay, while you all serve as hired hands. What do you think of that? The brothers hated him so much. Every time they saw that coat, they hated him. And that hatred was, was building. And they could not forgive this guy. There was unforgiveness and offense in their heart every time they saw him. Until they started uh, just fuming and starting to talk about murder. And then this kid has the audacity to tell him he had two dreams. In one dream, the sheaves of wheat, while they're all out doing some farming, he says, your sheaves of wheat bowed down to mine. Isn't that awesome? Not so awesome, Joseph. Not so wise, we're telling these brothers at this time. Then he had another dream, and he told his father and mother and the brothers, home, oh, dad, mom, brother, bros, had this incredible dream last night. All the sun and the moon and the stars bowed down to me. Even the father said, are you saying that I'd bow down to you, son? Be careful who you tell your dreams to. You need people who can dream dreams with you. 
The brothers hated him so much. They were going to kill him until some traders came by and they said, hey, let's not kill him. We're going to do, kill two birds with one stone. We're going to get rid of him. We're going to make some money out of this. They sold him as a slave. And while he was there in slavery, the Bible says he became powerful in that household. He was so good at what he did. He was right to the top, was second only to the owner of the household, Potiphar, one of the king's officials. Until another injustice came. His brothers betrayed him. And now this man's wife accused him of touching her, which he never did. And now he's in prison. It just goes from bad to worse, the story. It's just horrible. In prison, he's there and he's serving. And the same thing happens. He gets promoted until the jailkeeper actually basically gives him the keys. You take care of stuff. He looks after all the other prisoners. And two prisoners come in with two dreams. A baker, the chief baker, and the chief wine tester. They both had dreams, and he interprets them. They get out. One of them has to die, but the other lives exactly as Joseph predicted. And he says to the chief wine tester, don't forget me. Two years later, he forgot him. The king had a dream, the pharaoh of Egypt. And can no one tell me the dream? He's asking all around. Eventually, the chief wine tester remembers, oh, I'm so sorry, king. I promised this guy I wouldn't forget, and I forgot. But there's a man in the kingdom, he's in prison, who can tell you your dreams and what they mean. And Joseph came and told him the meaning of the dream. And a short, a long story short, he became second only to the Pharaoh. In fact, he basically ruled everything. The Pharaoh did nothing. He just enjoyed life while Joseph made him a rich, rich man. Now, fast forward, and this is what happens. Genesis 45, verse 7 to 8. The brothers come before him, and he reveals who he is now. The very thing that they never expected, the dream that he had, has come to pass. He's standing before them, and they're on their faces, worshiping and bowing down to him. And this is what he says. While they're trembling in their their boots, God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives. God sent me to preserve a remnant. God sent me to save your lives. By a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me, but God. He made me a father to Pharaoh, Lord of his entire household, and ruler of all of Egypt. I don't know what injustice has been done to you. I don't know what cruelty has been meted out in your life. But I do know this. Even though it wasn't God's idea, he didn't want it to happen. Man did that to you, not God. God has a way of using what was meant for evil and to turn it around for good. I preached in the prisons in Fiji in 2012. I remember a women's prison that while they were all there listening. I told them, you're all Christians here. I was telling them the story, you're all Christians. But you've drifted away from the Lord. That's why you're here. They're all nodding. They're all crying by the time I'm sharing this. And I said, I want to tell you something. You're feeling sorry for yourself here in prison. But let me ask you a question. You know that Moses was actually a murderer. He was a criminal. He ran away from prison. But he ended up in the wilderness, in the desert, where God had to beat that prince out of him for 40 years. And Joseph had to go and become a servant and then a prisoner for 13 years. And overnight, instantly, God elevated them to a position they could not have dreamt of. Out of nowhere, they become leader of a nation and a leader of, the, of all the nation of Egypt. Where do you think they got their training for leadership from? 
from prison. Let me finish with a few notes. If you're taking notes, I'm just going to give you four things very quickly. Why do you need to forgive? I'm going to end the the series on forgiveness with this. Number one, to come out from under judgment. Why do you need to forgive? To come out from under judgment. Matthew 5, 21 to 22 says, You've heard it said long ago, Do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, that anyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. To come up from under judgment, you got to forgive. Number two, why do you need to forgive? To be in right relationship with God. Matthew 5, 23 to 24 says, So, if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar, if you're giving gifts to the Lord in the, at church, in the temple, and you suddenly remember that someone is something against you. Leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled with that person. Then come back and offer your sacrifice to God. Here's what I want to explain to you. We don't take up tithes and offerings at Live City Church, but you are missing out if you don't give. They understood this principle. This was for the people who understood. Every time I give a sacrifice, God blesses me. I can't afford not to sacrifice. I can't afford not to give. I can't afford not to pay the tithe. Because I want my blessing. I've gone used to the blessing. I'm accustomed to it. But if you have unforgiveness in your heart, even if you're giving that offering, you're not going to get blessed. Ouch. Let me keep going. Number three. Why forgive? To open the way for miracles. In Mark 11, 25 to 26, it says, And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you your trespasses. Join the dots, and he won't answer your prayer. If you have unforgiveness in your heart, and and you're trying to pray for God, for provision, or for other things, God is not listening to your prayers. I'm sorry. You need to forgive first before God will turn and answer your prayer. Fourth and last one, we'll close with this and we'll stand. Why should we forgive? So that we can gain forgiveness ourselves. Luke 6.37 says, forgive and you will be forgiven. Why don't we stand to our feet as I close? I'm going to finish with a story. This was a, a story that Graham Cook uh, is a, a, known as a prophet around the world an Englishman based in California. He had this re- recurring dreams of appearing uh, like in, in this place in the countryside and it's like a party going on, this atmosphere, and Jesus always came to see him. Every time Jesus came to see him, he was always filled with joy and Jesus always had a smile. But one day, Jesus came to him and he wasn't smiling and he's wondering, what, what's going on? I don't understand. Jesus always smiles. He's always happy with me. Why, why is he not smiling? And Jesus came to Graham. He looked at him in the eye and says, Give me back my stuff. And, and Graham says, I, I don't understand, Lord. W- what do you mean? Give me back my stuff, Graham. Lord, I don't understand what you mean. I, 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 gave, I gave everything. Everything I have is yours. Graham, I'm not messing around. Give me back my stuff. And Graham is crying. I says, what, what stuff, Lord? And he says, When I hung on that cross, I asked you for your stuff so that I can swap it with something else. You took your worry and you gave it to me. 
You took your anger and you gave it to me on that cross. You took your bitterness and your fear and you gave it to me on that cross and I nailed it to the cross. But you keep resurrecting it over and over and over again. I traded your unforgiveness and you gave it to me. You forgave and I gave you grace. I gave you healing. I gave you deliverance and you keep wanting to take it back. When you think about that incident where that person hurt you, you are taking back what I nailed to the cross. And you are giving back the peace I gave you. You are giving back the love I gave you. You are returning the joy and the forgiveness. I died for it. When you gave it to me, it belongs to me. I want you to close your eyes for a moment. There's stuff that you're taking back. That Jesus has nailed to the cross. When you let that thing go and you forgave because you needed Jesus' forgiveness, He took it and nailed it on the cross. It was meant to stay there. And He gave you peace in its place. He gave you blessing. He gave you joy. He gave you freedom. But when you rethink that incident that occurred, you're taking back. You're giving back that peace. You're returning that joy. And you're taking back that unforgiveness. You're taking back that torment. Jesus says, give it back to me. It belongs to me. Just for the next few seconds, here's what I would like you to do. Some of you have been dealing with this, and it's so great. But right now, in the quietness of this moment, would you please, right now, take a moment and forgive that person that has hurt you. You know the one I'm talking about. You haven't let it go. You keep reliving that moment. I want you to forgive that person and give it to God. It's like writing in bookkeeping and accounting. There's a term called a journal entry where you're going to write off that debt. And once you wrote that journal entry, you can't take it back. Because if you took it back, now you can't account for that unexpected income. It doesn't belong to you anymore. You wrote it off. I want you to forgive right now. As I ask the band to come up and begin to worship. Come on team, come and join me. I want you to pray right now. Make your heart right with the Lord. Do it under your breath. Don't do it in your mind. Do it under your breath very quietly. But I want you to do some business with the Lord today. He wants to set you free. You may not even know that you've been in prison, but he's going to set you free today. Father, I pray for the grace of Jesus to be upon this church. Lord, release your love and your grace and your affection once again. That as they, as your church, your beloved, begin to give back to you that unforgiveness. And they give back to you that hurt. And they get back to you, Lord God, all that sorrow. Father, you give them instead peace and grace and love this morning. Father, we bless you, and we thank you for the work you've done today. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Why don't you give a hand to thank the Lord this morning. Let's bless him. Thank you, team. God bless you. Thank you for joining Life City Church, and we hope that you were blessed and inspired by today's message. If this ministry has made an impact on your life, we'd love to hear from you. Please drop us a line and share your story at thanks at lifecitychurch.com or email us your prayer needs at prayer at livecitychurch.com. We'd love to connect with you and hear more about your story. If you love the ministry of Live City Church, you can make a financial gift to help us spread the good news of Jesus by going to livecitychurch.com and clicking the giving tab. We hope today's message has spoken into your life and look forward to your next visit.